0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am sitting down today with Mr. Preston Pish, a man who needs no introduction at all. And in our last sessions together, we went through the brain, and now we're going to start diving into another side of being, the soul. Uh, The book we're looking at today is called Seat of the Soul by Gary Zukov. And man, you know, Preston, when we talked about doing this originally, <laughs> you said you wanted to talk about the brain. And you also recommended this book as a companion. And this one is a trip, man.
1: Yeah. And it's the, the, the last couple of books are very science-based, a lot of research. And this one is very, Uh, spiritual and, uh, you know, I would probably say kind of Buddhist in in the way and then like the teachings and stuff like that. And, um, you know, the only reason that I, and I think I might've said this in some of the earlier interviews, we did them a while back, but um, the only reason I really kind of got dialed into this book was because um, Oprah Winfrey had just raved about how it influenced her, impacted her life. I was like, all right, well, she's somebody that I really kind of admire. I think she's done a lot and just really an impressive kind of person. And uh so I, I read it, and the book kind of changed my life, to be quite honest with you. So yeah, it I think reading, and I told
0: you this as I was reading it. I remember texting you because it, it goes off on some kind of strange tangents, but very strange. <laughs> I at one point. My experience reading the book is like, this is super profound and deep. At other points, I'm like, is this book serious? Like it gets almost. Same experience. Same experience. Silly in a way. And then it. Yeah. I don't know, but the end of it, the net outcome, I had very much the same experience as you. in that I found myself just having a different internalized experience. Um Yeah. Several takeaways, but the big one, which I think we'll start off here with, is intention. Yeah. Really, this idea that intention is the seed of all of it, right? All your words, all your actions. I'm reminded of many arguments I've had with female counterparts that have said it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Whereas as a man, I'm always like trying to say the right, you know. Younger, more uh, argumentative me it was always trying to like win the argument, I guess. But now,
1: but your I body see language, what, yeah, your body language was actually sending the real message,
0: right? And maybe even the intention, yeah. right? Something deeper yeah. than that. And so now, I've I've just caught myself trying to constantly evaluate what intention I'm bringing into a situation. Yeah. So what you know, whether that's an action or words or even writing.
1: It's, it's amazing how much we lie to ourselves. Yes. What, what we, what we tell ourselves is our intention. But like when you literally pause and you really kind of go into, and I know we were talking about the brain, like you go to like neocortex kind of like level thinking, Mm -hmm. critical thinking, deep critical thinking. And you ask yourself why the five times, and you, you really kind of like force yourself to be objective when you're thinking through like, what really is my intention? Is it this thing that I'm telling myself at the surface level, like right. argument, or is it something way, way deeper than that? And I would argue it's almost always the, the latter um, when you're, and you're just lying to yourself. Yeah. It's tricky to even put this
0: into language because I agree that the intention, the way I'm perceiving it, at least. um, and- We'll get into how the author describes it. It's almost like it's a pre-intellectual thing. You know, there's something like bubbling up from within you, like your actual being or your soul, perhaps. I don't know, that is your actual intention. And they do this to you in yoga practice too, where at the beginning of every practice, it's like the first thing you do is set your intention before you do anything. Um, whereas the story we tell ourselves, like we then wrap that intention in some narrative. Yeah. And that's how that's where we can self-deceive, I guess. Um
1: and, and at the end of the day, it's your core being of like who you are that is driving like those those narratives and those things that you're telling yourself that you think you you know about yourself. But if if you're able to truly look at it objectively, um, if especially if you had the privilege of having somebody who just does not care whether they hurt your feelings or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're whether and whether you're able to handle sitting down with a person like that and then asking them, why do you think I really did this? Like, honestly, like just hurt my feelings. I don't care. Like, why do you think I really did this? And they would tell you, right? Most people can't handle that conversation. Right. <laughs> they can't even get past the first sentence or two. Yeah. Um, And I think finding somebody else that could actually like tell you what that is is insanely difficult to do because they just, they're so they're socially wired to not ever go there because they don't want to uh, um, incur the damages that would be associated with having that conversation.
0: Yeah. This is perhaps related to people pleasing to some extent, you know, absolutely,
1: we're we're conditioned
0: at least conditioned, perhaps even hardwired to not want to step on one another's toes, so to speak.
1: And the reason um, but, why is because you don't have to endure the relationship the long-term close-knit relationship with that person in almost all social constructs outside of like a really close-knit family yeah. situation. So like you and I we're we're friends, right? Like you and I talk on Twitter and and that kind yeah. of stuff. But in the grand scheme of things, like the time we actually spend together and that we actually interact with each other relative yeah. to all those other interactions in our lives is minuscule, yes, right? So am I going to, am I going to risk that relationship and that, that bridge and that connection with you to go out and really say something that could potentially upset you or just harm you? Or like, maybe you just don't understand my intention of why I'm saying something, right? Like all of those things, most people have learned whether they realize it or not to not go there, to preserve that bridge and that relationship and that communication that has been established between the two bodies and those two people, right?
0: No, that's a great point. So, you you know, again, I, I consider you a friend as well. However, the time that we are physically in one another's presence relative to my family, relative to your family is very small. So, it's part could, of the
1: calculus, yeah.
0: Yeah, you could say that we actually have a more surface level relationship, which just makes sense and this is true for pretty much everyone outside of your family and super close friends. So, to try and say something to someone that you have that degree of relationship with that would cut to their core, potentially, right? Especially if yes. you're being critical, <laughs> you're taking a surface level relationship and uh going deeper. So there's a lot of risk associated well, with that.
1: And then the risk pours into the network. So, like yeah. whether people think of it in these, these terms or not, it doesn't really matter. But like, I know you have a network of all mm-hmm. these other people that you connect with. You know I have this network of all these other people that I'm connected with that you know, I know, and all that kind of stuff, right? The seven degrees of Kevin Bacon mm-hmm. type thing. like We all know that that exists. And so like, am I going to say something that upsets you or, says, or say something that in my intention is to maybe help or do or whatever that is, right? I'm going to preserve that. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to potentially disrupt that network of influence that's associated with the other counterparty for right. For something that would be a really small, if any, value capture at all for the person who would be saying what they'd be saying. And the paradox
0: here <laughs> is that you're right. That person that's saying it has little to gain, but the person receiving it, assuming it's genuine and it's authentic feedback, yeah, has a lot to gain, right? Because we're has all a ton to gain. It's hard for us to
1: see ourselves. Most and can't handle it though. Very true. It takes a <laughs>
0: It takes, uh, I don't know, either wisdom, experience, or both to, to be able to accept constructive criticism and you actually
1: implement to, it. You have to, st- the, the person who's receiving it has to always start with the fundamental idea. Like, I have blemishes. I got tons of blemishes. Yep. And I can't see them. Yep. And I really want somebody to help me see them. If they're not starting from that frame of reference and from that frame of mind, like, you're dead on arrival yeah right yeah (laughs) like how many people do you know personally that are like tell me everything i'm doing wrong man i truly want to know i want to hear it just like lay it on like so few there's like nearly nobody but it's super powerful but if you have it super powerful like insanely powerful
0: yes it is and i would argue and you i mean you've provided this for me in circumstances we can discuss at some point but You've helped me see my own personal blemishes at times when they're they're being shown. And that deepened our friendship, I would say. So there is a yeah. ri- there's a risk and reward again, right? The person delivering the message is taking a risk, but there is the potential reward of deepening the bond.
1: But but I would have never in a million years even entertained the idea of it if I didn't think the receiver, you should could handle it. Mm. Right. Like I would, I would never, I would just never even initiate it. I'd be like, yeah, well, <laughs> so much for that. <laughs> right. And, and I can't even tell you how many people throughout my life. That's pretty much been the case where I just kind of smile and be like, okay, well, Hey, have a good day.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Sometimes that is the optimal strategy. Um, Okay. Before we go into what the author says about this, I think you've already naturally touched on this, but there's, so there's a relationship between intention and incentives, even if you're not cognitively expressly going through it, you have some deeper sense, some deeper intuition of these uh, risk and rewards we've just been describing. So do you think intention purely comes from incentives or is there another aspect to it? Because it doesn't feel right to me to say that it's And I know we always say no man is better than than his incentives in Bitcoin, and that's very good for adversarial thinking and game theory and all of this. However, I don't, I mean, maybe this is just self-deceiving, but you don't want to believe that you're just responding to your incentives. Like there's no part of you that is non-deterministic in that sense. That doesn't feel like a true thought um, for me, at least. I don't know. How do you feel about that?
1: You know, I think it's a good. I think it's a good way to frame it because um, everybody's got incentives that is motivating their actions. Yep. Um, what my takeaway in the book is: Are you doing things just for yourself? Or are you doing things that are kind of mutually beneficial for both parties? Or are you mm-hmm. doing them completely for the other person? And I think when you're doing it for the for the last two. When you're doing something that you feel is genuinely kind of beneficial for both parties, win win, right? The classic win win in negotiations, Mm -hmm. or you're just through love or whatever it is that's driving you to to give, to uh, add value to other people's lives instead of adding it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Those two incentives, or I'm sorry, those two intentions for those latter two categories. Or where you are going to create, a, create this force that is put into motion, and this is where it gets spiritual, into, into the universe, that the gears have to figure out a way to somehow repay that reciprocity, to balance the equation, right? And the first time that I read this idea that it's talking about in the book, where like the balancing of karma... Is actually based on your intentions, not necessarily your actions. Hmm. This idea for me was like groundbreaking. And I was, and I just thought to myself, like, okay, so let me just lean into this Hmm. and let me embrace this idea and let me just try it out. And let me be just hyper aware of like what my intentions are. So even down to like basic conversations or like basic actions. I was after reading this book, I was kind of like, okay, Preston, why did you do that? Did you really, did you say that to make that person feel good about themselves? Or did you say that to try to create some type of social influence so people think you're more important, right? Hmm. And when I started asking, me, asking myself those questions, um, I just, I found myself kind of like, when I was being honest with myself, I was like, wow, you just did that to try to impress that person. Hmm. You just did that to gain like social status. You just did that to, and it was so uh, self-interested type actions and Mm. and incentives. The incentives were that. And so I just kind of started changing the way I was acting. I was like, well, you know what? Let me just try to do the opposite. Let me just try to like, just give to another person. Let me just create a video course that's teaching myself self-interest, but also maybe helping 10,000 people or 100,000 people learn something. And just let me put it out there with no strings attached. I don't care if I get paid. doesn't matter to me. Yeah. And what I found is it was very slow at first. And I think a lot of this is just the, the karma obligations of like how the gears are turning. Right. Just started slowly. Like I just started receiving like quote unquote gifts in my life. Right. That you're just like, okay, so where the hell did that come from? <laughs> And I, and I think the thing that was really surprising to me is like, you might give to another person, but you might not receive the, the gears might not turn in a way that it comes back to you for, and I think that's the, that's the illusion. The illusion is people think that if I give right now, I have to receive back immediately right. that, the, that the, that the system has to balance itself. But I would tell you that's the illusion, the what happens is, is it'll balance itself, but it's going to balance itself in the most op, uh, uh, efficient way that doesn't make sense to you individually. Yeah. It's going to balance itself when the timing is right, according to all these other things that are at play at play that you cannot possibly understand. OK? So and, and I suspect that if it's paid back to you with more time. Just like how we understand how financial markets work, it's paid back with some sort of interest mm. attached to it. Mm-hmm. If you're not paid back for 20 years, maybe maybe what you get back is more valuable than what you gave 20 years previously. right? And so I don't know, for, for me personally, it works for me, it might not work for somebody else listening to this, but for me personally, when I'm on the side of the equation where I'm either doing a win-win situation or I'm just downright giving to another person, it just comes back to me and it feels like it comes back to me with interest. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, at this point, it's, it's so obvious to me in my personal life, again, personal story. It's so obvious to me that this works that I could not even imagine doing it any other way. Which is, (laughs) it's, it's kind
0: of mind-blowing and funny at the same time because it's like when you come to actually see this karmic energetic accounting or whatever you want to call it in the universe and you see it in action, right to your point you you rendered some value you didn't receive anything back for 10 years or whatever the number of yeah, whatever on it. all of a sudden that observation now aligns karma with your self-interest. So it's like, not only are you,
1: I was just having this little bit. And when you have abundance, when you have abundance, it's so much easier to give. Of course. Yes. Yes. Right. So then it compounds and and the wheel starts spinning in the, almost like a water wheel, right? Like when you have abundance, like you look at a guy, any of these billionaires or people that have like an abundance of wealth, which is a completely different thing than what we're talking about right here. We're talking about an abundance of, of energy that's been given. Yes, And it can be any form, right? It could be monetary. It could be knowledge. It could be like anything, right? Yes. That adds value to another person's life. Once you get that water wheel spinning in that direction, it's just so much easier. To be like, well, I have an abundance of this. Why? Oh, of course I can give you more. Like I have yeah. courses on my website and somebody's like, you mean you'd give me, give me a lifetime subscription for free? I'm like, yeah, sure, man. I don't care. Here you go. And I give it to him. Right. And then it's just the water wheel just keeps turning yeah right yeah it's a it's an
0: excellent point um and i think you're economics teaches this too right this the incentives of cooperation well,
1: na- i would tell you nature i think is a better teacher like look at just look in nature of energy exchange mm. and and how it arrives and like you just look at how like a plant receives energy from the sun and how it's it's able to like transmute that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it provides the a source of some type of fruit that then a human can come and extract. Mm-hmm. And then the seeds, those seeds are then the, the human eats them and they goes through the digestive tract, and then the seeds are planted somewhere else. And then it spreads, mm-hmm. right? It's this energy exchange that's constantly happening and it's giving. It's expounding. It's it's creating life everywhere. It's yeah. just it's mind-blowing, right? It's crazy. Yeah, no,
0: excellent point there. I often think of that very concept of exchange as the most fundamental reality, you know? If if everything is always yes. changing, which is like the one constant in the universe, change is only accomplished through exchange. And I guess economics is really just our human version of that, right? Like if we have voluntary open exchange, it creates more economic wealth and abundance in the same way this free exchange creates the fruit of the plant. That's um, right. And that's so, how I
1: see Bitcoin. So when you're looking at Bitcoin, like a, a Satoshi, right? It's energy that's been captured into a digital unit that is basically the, the ATP of the body. Mm -hmm. So your mitochondria are creating ATP, which is the energy or the currency within every one of your cells. And it's just happening on a LART. And when you zoom out, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: now you're talking about a group of people inside of a country, you zoom out to the planet level. And like that energy exchange that's happening, that is not being manipulated by a few actors that are Mm self-interested, that have... Mm -hmm. Intentions for themselves to, to gain over the cost of the, re, of the, of the remainder, right That's right. the system we're in right now. and I think what, what's happening on a global scale is all of that is being flipped on on its head, and it's like, this won't be tolerated anymore.: Is that the miracle, a new system? Is it the miracle
0: of Bitcoin <laughs> that it's now aligned individual self-interest? With an intention that is positive towards the collective, because you know, you're know you incentivized have, to hold, but holding also defunds central banking and all these things that are really bad.
1: These self-interested actions and
0: intentions. But
1: it is a self-interested action, which is crazy to hold. Well, so if, if you would pull the thread on that and you look at what does it provide? So yeah, you're self-interested to hold, but what is the greater good mm-hmm. that comes out of something like this where- one unit is now spent in one country as, as that had, that holds and retains that buying power without some type of currency arbitrage advantage over one versus the other. Mm-hmm. It neutralizes that, right? And so it's so fascinating about, and, and I tell you what, one of the reasons I'm so bullish on it is because when I look at what it provides over what currently exists, and is it more aligned for the collective or is it more aligned to the individual to to benefit from? I would strongly argue that it is going to make the collective benefit from that. And so, when I would, if we we're really going to get into like an economics conversation on this, so like everybody's in debt up to their eyeballs all over the planet, they're effectively slaves. People are slaves, they don't have any type of disposable equity or income to their name whatsoever. If we were going to compare it to like, you go back and you look at like the Egyptians building like the pyramids, like they were slave labor effectively in order to do these feats and these things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, How did they convince so many people to work towards this common goal? Well, they were they were effectively slaves. I would argue that what you see today in the world is a very similar thing. Like if you live in a house, you don't own it. You've worked for 20 years and you're still in debt up to your eyeballs. You're remortgaging your house. You have no equity in are you're just still churning and your mm-hmm. buying power is diminishing like you're a slave period right so this system is is you know you and i both believe we're going to go through a hyper bitcoinization event here mm-hmm. whenever whenever that happens right mm-hmm. but what the the real benefit for that is the people that have bought a house that own the equity but they own a tiny little sliver because it's in their name and the rest is all owned by the bank through fixed income debt. That Mm -hmm. debt is going to blow up and they're basically going to get a house that they're paying back with worthless money. So when I think about like, is this good for the individual or is this good for the collective? Like this is very good for the collective. Very good for the collective that this scenario would play out. It might not seem like it right now. No, I
0: mean, clearly I completely agree with you. And I think that is why most Bitcoiners become so super passionate about it. Once you get to a certain depth of the rabbit hole, fix the money, okay. fix the world, right? Yep. Um, It, it is interesting though, that for, again, surface level relationship, if people have a surface level relationship with Bitcoin, they're not drawn in by save the world. They're drawn in by <laughs> this thing. Number, number go up. up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it just seems... Really powerful how Bitcoin reconciles these two seemingly oppositional directives, right? Self-interest and collective, kind of in the same way it seems like karma reconciles these things. So let's
1: pull the thread on in the universe or wherever. Right. So if you're a person who's worked your tail off for 25 years, you have nothing to show for, you're in debt up to your eyeballs, you've kept remortgaging your house. Right. Mm-hmm. And this thing comes along that, that all of a sudden makes those payments super easy to make. Maybe that's karma. Hmm. Maybe that's the universe trying to balance the equation to the people that have provided the energy and provided the intentions hmm. that are associated with those actions that they're going to be repaid for, for their actions. I mean, at least that's how I see it. I see wow. this as being quite obvious that, that this would be how the universe would kind of play out.
0: That's powerful. So Bitcoin is karmic money, something
1: like that. It's just, um, I don't know. I just see it as being really obvious.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. It's funny that, again, once you've reached a certain level of the rabbit hole, I think it is kind of incredibly obvious. Um, And I try to put it into little one-liners for people. Like, I called it in the other day instead of insurance. So insurance on money printing, kind of a dad joke there.
1: Um, but that's kind of all it is, right? It's like- You didn't have your shirt tucked in at Miami 2020. I did. <laughs> I did. I had that sucker tucked in so tight. I might, I might just keep doing it just to keep people laughing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you did. I can confirm that. All right. <laughs> I will read some words from the author here just to keep us rolling. So he says, quote, these words became my living creed. Every action, thought, and feeling is motivated by an intention. And that intention is a cause that exists as one with an effect. If we participate in the cause, it is not possible for us to participate in the effect. In this most profound way, we are held responsible for our every action, thought, and feeling, which is to say, for our every intention. So, this is very deeply, I mean, he's making the case that intention is responsibility. So, you have to be responsible for your own intentions
1: to act in the world. I feel just like a ton of pressure just hearing that. (laughs) <laughs> I did, right? like how I can't the pressure you, like, reading it. <laughs> how can't you feel the pressure? So if you buy into that idea, which I totally do, um, like can you imagine like the responsibility now that you hold when you hear that, and what that might mean for you, and for every single engagement and every single thought and every single action that's that's tethered to those intentions that you're acting upon? Right. What that means, um. It, it, and so if you if you're a person with bad intentions and you're hearing this like god it's that's a brutal realization to to kind of come to and and to think through but here's the, here's the beauty of it it's like you can turn it around you can yeah. um you can start experimenting like you, uh, that's what I would tell somebody who's hearing this and they're like my god this this is some this is some uh <laughs> this is some crap right um And that's fine. Like I encourage people to, you know, you live your wife, live your life the way you need to live it. Yeah. Um, I'm just telling you what has worked for me and what the benefits and the tremendous gifts I've received in my life are just unbound. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I attribute them to this idea of, of treating and and respecting every single action and every single intention that's associated with that action as being something that's either going to come back to me in, in a good way or a bad way. Like, Think of it like this: you're you're out there and you're throwing boomerangs all day long. Mm-hmm. Right. And you might you might throw some boomerangs that are really badly intended. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna come back and you're gonna you're gonna feel those when they come back. Mm-hmm. You're throw some boomerangs that are that are well intended, that to help other people, uh beneficial for both parties. And mm-hmm. when they come back, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy and reap.
0: To offer their own Bitcoin products and services. As a true game changer in the industry, NIDIG is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward thinking individuals and institutions alike. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, NIDIG has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and has quickly become a leader in this space. So, whether you are a professional investor looking for asset management services or a company looking to white label your own Bitcoin product or service, consider NIDIG your single source solution for everything Bitcoin. So that I, I like the analogy, throwing boomerangs with every all day long. word, action, everything you do, yep. but you get to choose... The intention sort of not, I don't want to say determines the target, but if you set your aim properly, which maybe we could call this a high moral aim or something like that, that you're going to receive it back in a positive way. Maybe yeah. not the way you expect or understand, but that or, you basically, or, or when you expect, or when, but you're trusting this universal accounting mechanism. Yes. We're calling karma, but. It's not just some frou-frou silliness. Like It's it's observable. Um, And this really justifies freedom too, right? The idea of trying to compel someone to do something else. It's like you can't compel a true intention, clearly. You could compel someone to do something at a gunpoint or whatever under legal compulsion, whatever it is,
1: but they're not going to do it with a true intention. (laughs) This is my favorite part of this idea. Is you become so much less judgmental of another person when you buy into this idea? Because Mm. my opinion is, hey, if if you do something or I see you doing something, and I have to admit, I'm terrible on Twitter. Sometimes I'll just engage people and be like, "You suck," (laughs) right? Right? I'm guilty. It's just like anybody else is guilty. Like you're not going to do this perfectly. Like I'm sorry, you're just not. Yeah. Right. Um. But most of the time when I'm engaging some with somebody, it's because I suspect they have a very bad intention. And, Mm. and what's nice about this idea is you don't have to judge them. You can just let them go because guess what? The universe has got it covered, right? (laughs) It's got it covered. It's going to bring it back to them. And so maybe, Hey, that's the universe working through me to like come back and smack them. But me as a person who's interacting with that and engaging it, well, now maybe I'm participating in something that's creating bad karma for myself, and so the best way to maybe handle it is just to kind of hands off. That person's going to be dealt with when the timing is right, and they're going to be dealt with in a way that corresponds and equally matches that energy and that intention in a way that is is what they need in order to learn what they're supposed to learn in this life.
0: Yeah, excellent. Well said. Um, I the thought that occurred to me there is we have to be careful not to self deceive when we are coming after, after, somebody like, Oh, this is the universe getting after their bad intention.
1: <laughs> Cause yeah, no, it's yeah. You, you're exactly right. You don't want to, you have no idea what the hell is actually happening or why that's happening right. to that person. <laughs> right. Like any person who thinks that they know mm-hmm. are totally fooling themselves that they know more than they do. Um, so, yeah, it's just, you know what? Don't be judgmental. Like, hey, it, for whatever reason, it's happening to that person. And, um, you know, I have no idea why. And um, I'm here to support them. I'm here yeah. to help them if they, if they would request it.
0: Hmm. This gets to, you know, something Jordan Peterson said, which I really liked, is that he started to train himself to never feel weak when he spoke I guess he, if he was lying, or if he had some mal intent, perhaps he could physically feel it in himself that it that it was devitalizing to him in in some way. So he tried to just not ever feel that way when he spoke. He'd always tried to say things that made him feel strong, and I think that's what that points to me to the depth of intention. It is something below. Like once you start wrapping it in a narrative intellectually, it's no longer intention. It's Mm -hmm. you've taken that energy of intention and you've put some story around it and it's kind of 50, I'll say 50, 50. It could be self-deceiving. Let's just put it that way. So this is something that we always have to check ourselves on. Like, are you acting from a very primal, basic uh, fundamental level of feeling and intention, or is this some intention you have wrapped in a story to justify Perhaps a mil- a malintention
1: of some kind, yeah, and I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. This is like how how much people fool themselves, mm-hmm. so you can go through you can go through scenarios like let's say a person broke into a store, stole some food, and left the store. You could look at that and say that person hands down has bad intentions, mm. right now you could let's just pull an extreme on that story and say. The person's child was literally on their deathbed and they were malnutrition, and they were just trying to get some food and they had no money, whatever. And so their intention was to break into the store, steal food, and they had an intention to somehow repay the store owner at a later date with some type of interest or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? The scenario is different. The intention is way different. For a person who who wouldn't know any of that and they'd just be watching it from the outside, they would look at that and say, well, it was a bad action Mm -hmm. that I observed and that person's evil and they should be punished. Right? And we have laws that protect store owners that say this is not actions that should be acceptable and I'm not saying that it should be acceptable. All I'm saying is the line between good and bad is maybe a whole lot blurrier, blurrier than people realize, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't be so quick to judge that you know what is good and bad, quote unquote, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Which I hate using those two words,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because you don't understand the actual intentions of the actors involved, and you don't understand like the bigger picture. Like if you could zoom out and understand like all these things that are happening that we just don't have any conscious awareness of. Like, I just think we would be in wow. Like, we just couldn't even understand the breadth Mm -hmm. of the energy exchange that's happening in the universe. Um, And so, I guess, all my only point with that is like, you might want to guard against thinking you understand somebody's intentions. Mm. Focus on your own intentions, Mm. not somebody else's.
0: Yeah. You can certainly only relate to your own intention. You can try yeah. and deduce Understand. someone else's through their actions or other methods, perhaps, but you can truly only have this relationship, I think the author's describing with your own intentions. That's right. Um so interesting. So what if in the case or in the instances that you do act out of malintent, which I think we all at least have, poss- probably do sometimes. Every day. How? <laughs> and I remind you, everything you're saying This reminds me of that quote, the line between good and evil running down the heart of every man. Like, that's exactly what all this is pointing to. So yes. in the instance that you cross that own line in your heart and you act out of malintent, how do you identify it?
1: And if you can identify it, how do you rectify it? Well, I think the the latter is the harder piece. I think deep down inside, most people can feel and sense that. Not all. And I think where, where this really gets into, and if I was going to push back on the author, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I love this book. This book has influenced me tremendously, but I've also studied a lot of books on the brain. And I understand that um, there are people that go through neurological um, issues, especially when they have tumors and whatnot, that will warp their how they view the world and how they are able to um, like their intentions get totally warped right. from what you and I would say are are good or bad, good and bad. Yeah. I'm using words intentions. Um, and so I think that's where, if I was going to say this book goes off the off the the railroad tracks, and where I would argue that I'm. I disagree with maybe some of the ideas, is, is in that realm of, of things that we know that are documented from a lot of neural research mm. and um, studying, right? Now, let me go back to your, um, to your point there is like, how do you rectify this if you feel that you've done this? I think you go to the parties that were immediately affected and you do your best to just be like, hey, I messed up, right? Like, I did this because of this intention, which was self-serving and I want to make it right. And that's it. Right. right. And, and, um, and I mean, that's pretty much all you can do. And I think in, in a lot of situations, you'll find that the person will be like, wow, uh, okay, uh, whatever. Like mm-hmm. they'll just kind of look at you like, why is this weirdo telling me this? And it'll just be over. Um, and if you feel like you have to provide more "Quote unquote energy" to the person that was affected by your self-serving interest. Well, then do what you got to do to make yourself feel like you've balanced it now, and not ten years from now when it's when it's not on your terms. Because that's what really what you're trying to do. You're trying to adjudicate Mm. the 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 imbalance that has been created on your terms instead (laughs) of terms that you (laughs) don't control, right? Or when or when it's going to be balanced.
0: Yeah, because again, to the karmic compounding interest, if you cut it the wrong way,
1: it's and gonna he come back to you. <laughs> he doesn't say that in the book. That's me, the finance yes. Like.
0: That's but I agree with you. person in me. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. why wouldn't
1: yeah. it? Everything, everything has a has a cost yeah. when time is attached to the duration of return. So, like if that's how it works here between us humans, like, why wouldn't it work like that for like the way the, the, the universe is structured? I would suspect that there's some type of cost associated with the delivery of something at a later date.
0: Yes. So who knows? I
1: mean, it's all, it's Preston Pish's theory on whatever. No, no, no.
0: It completely makes sense though. The time has a cost. You would assume that principle operates in the sphere of intentionality as well. So to your point, you want to, i Adjudicate these things on your terms in the near term to rectify them before they rectify you, so to yes, speak. That's right. Um, I'm reminded here of I have the author a, doesn't
1: say that. The author doesn't say that. I'm sorry. Correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're yeah we're on the we're adding the financial lens to this, perhaps. Yeah. Um, I have a daughter that's almost three years old, and I'm just reflecting on how difficult it is for her to apologize. You know, that's like the hardest thing in the world to look mom and dad and apologize. And it, it does take courage. I think still as an adult to like fess up to your own egoic failures or malintention, whatever it is, your self-deception that takes courage to admit not, not only to yourself, but also to others.
1: Um, You're holding yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. And that's, can be a painful experience because it's almost, and I'm going to use an extreme example. If I told you, "Hey, Robert, hold out your hand and cut your hand just a small bit," you're inflicting pain upon yourself
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a physical way. What we're talking about is inflicting pain upon yourself in a mental or a responsibility kind of way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and most people just have not been wired. To make that a normal occurrence. Um, and, And, you know, some of this might have been so, like, I went to a military academy. The first year you're there, I mean, they drill this into your head is just self accountability. If you mess up, whatever it is, and if somebody underneath of you messes up, right, you didn't even do it. It was somebody who you were responsible for did it. You know what you say to your superior? You say, it was my fault that snuffy back here did something wrong. It was my fault. I take mm-hmm. full responsibility for that. I'm 100 percent accountable, and I will make sure it doesn't happen again. right? And how many people are, are conditioned in this way? Very, very few.
0: Yeah. But, you know, you shared that with me at a very important time, and that was one of my watershed. Moments, I think, perhaps seeing through my own self deception was this idea of just taking responsibility. Because even if, like, how do you you can't even trace the arrows of causality necessarily, but if something is happening to you, you it's almost a certainty, especially if you're buying into this karmic accounting thing that the energies in the universe needed to be reconciled, and you're now experiencing something that you need to learn from, right? One way or another, uh, and that you know that sat with me for days and I I reflected on it and it's occurred to me that Christ could be considered the archetype of that. The guy that took responsibility for everything. Right. Yeah. And religious, non-religious, that's what it is. The Christ consciousness is symbolic of. I think the author even talks, the author, this is not a Christian book whatsoever, but the author talks about, the nature of, of Christ consciousness. And
1: um, yeah, it's just really profound. Well, this is the irony that I've noticed when you take responsibility for actions, um, most people aren't prepared to hear it. Mm-hmm. The, the counterparty, they're not like ready for it and they have no response for it. <laughs> so when somebody says, hey, you really messed up. You really did a bad job at X, Y, mm. and Z, right? The response that you typically receive is just total defense. I've got to defend my position. Right. Opposed to, let me receive that data yeah. point. Let me objectively look at it. Let me consider like their point of view. And then maybe I might just agree with it and be like, you know what? You're right. I could have done a better job at that. Mm. Instead of talking about like the the three standard deviation reason why <laughs> that might have happened, maybe you just double down and say, you know what, you're right. I think I did mess up and I think I'm gonna do a better job at that next time. Now, what does the other person say to that? <laughs> and this isn't this isn't a game to like outmaneuver the yeah. person who's accusing you of anything. It's not that at all. It's just like, why don't you just internalize it, acknowledge it, agree with it, and then maybe try to. To fix it. But when you respond back to that person with, I agree with you. I think I did mess up. Yes. Like they're dumbfounded. They have no, they have no, yeah. they're like, all right, well, uh don't do that again. Or and they won't even <laughs> say that. They won't even say that. Typically, what they'll say is that is they actually feel a little bad because you just took the blow right on the face. Right. And they're kind of like. Well, you know, it's, it was just a one-time thing. You, you know, I think next time you'll be fine. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: They're almost kind of trying to counter the, 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 the blow because you just took it. It's way, it's actually humorous. I, I would highly encourage people to next time somebody gives you objective criticism, just agree with them. Even if you don't agree with them, just agree with them just to see what happens. And you'll be, <laughs> you'll be blown away. You won't even believe. What the response back? It's almost like like whoa, okay, huh? <laughs> it's amazing.
0: <laughs> the few times that I'm reflecting on here is people thank you actually. You know, they're like, oh, yeah. thank you for bringing that up, and uh, I'm sure that was hard. And yeah, it's it's but very so, positive. So,
1: so this is really important. Is your and and this goes to the body language? Did we talk about the body language on our previous recordings at all? <laughs> not a lot. I think we may have touched so, on it once. Okay, so read the book what every body, like your body it's is saying. saying. I, yeah, incredible that. book, incredible book. Read this book. You you are communicating. The person who's who's reading you is picking up on your maneuvers of of your body, your your hands, your legs and all of it. Yeah. You might think that they're not and they're like they're interpreting what you're saying what you're saying, I would argue is like, and I'm just throwing a stat out there, right? Like, it's like 30% of like what they're actually thinking you're saying.
0: Yeah. The rest of it's
1: coming from the body language. So like, if, if I, if you ask me a question, like, no, that's not it. It's not it. Right. Am I, (laughs) am I being honest? (laughs) It's like, that's totally it. Right. (laughs) Right. Either that or you look
0: irritated. I couldn't tell.
1: Because my body language was suggesting something that was totally off of that, and, and everybody, I don't a five year old can pick up on what you're really saying
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you respond. So, right. like, if somebody comes up and they're criticizing, you're like, "You shouldn't have done that." And you're like, "You know what? I agree with you. I'm going to look into that." Like, you can tell sincerity. You can you can right. you can read credence yes. on a person, and that is something you cannot fake. So how do you do these things and actually mean it and not just say it for the reaction you're hoping you're going to see or whatever? Like you have to actually mean it. You actually have to try to (laughs) give text. I don't know how to teach somebody to do that. I don't know how to teach somebody to do that.
0: It almost can't be taught. I mean, it's you know, what is the old you have thing? to want to improve? You have yeah, to, yeah, you to can't improve. get an ought from an is is one of those things where they try to separate science and morals. It's like, you do have to choose to want to set a higher moral aim, if you want to call it that, for yourself. No, again, no one can even first force it on you. And to reinforce the point, the overall point, and your point. This isn't a game you can just play with people. You can't just now meet all criticisms no. with "Oh, I, I'll sorry, I'll I'll fix it" because that is an untrue intention. And yeah. As we're, I mean, that's the point. And they'll the read it of untrue intentions. They they detonate on you.
1: Totally. So, in, in like, if I was going to really go to the essence of like, how does a person acquire these skills? They look at themselves objectively. You have to start with the idea that you're fallible. That Mm -hmm. you make mistakes all the time and you can't necessarily see them. If you're starting from that premise that you make way more mistakes than you realize that they're happening all day long, if you start with that, which is humility, right? Mm -hmm. If you start with that, you're going to be able to, to do those things. But if you start with the fundamental belief structure that you've conditioned to yourself that I'm infallible, like I don't make mm-hmm. mistakes. like everybody else in the world is jacked, and I'm perfect, and everything I do is just turns the gold, turns the Bitcoin, right? But <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> um, but everything else that everybody else does jacked. It's terrible. They're worthless. They're just making mistakes all day long. Like if you have been conditioning your brain to think like this, you're not going to be that person that can, that can objectively view yourself in a situation.
0: Yeah. Well said. Um, and so the author draws this line between the personality and the soul. And so what I think we're sort of describing here is it's the personality that wants to defend itself. Maybe you could call this the ego right? the personality, and the ego are kind of synonymous. Whereas the soul, the the proper approach from the soul is to, is humility and learning, I guess, by extension, right? Because if you're, if you're and giving. giving and giving yes. And selflessness. Correct. Um, If you're exhibiting these things, then you are, positioning yourself to learn right if you approach something with humility and givingness all these things and so you you get this ability almost like what you're describing is we all have the blind spots we're all screwing up every day so not only are we screwing up every day in multiple ways but we may not even be cognizant of it but by approaching the world and our relationships with humility with givingness we give this ability to see through the eyes of others in a way right we can now I guess, clear up some of our blind spots. Uh, and maybe this is what Jordan Peterson says when he talks about us outsourcing our sanity to, to those around us. Like you need these kind of trusted few people, which I guess you build through good intentionality that can give you good feedback
1: on these blind spots of yourself. I, I, I like that. I would, I would make it way simpler. Think of, Think about your being, like your matter as being a node In which energy flows through all day long. So I'm collecting light energy. I'm Mm. hearing sound energy. Like you put food into your mouth. Like all of it is just energy that's flowing through your mass and then coming back out in some type of way. Sometimes it's coming out through a keyboard. Sometimes it's coming out through your mouth. And that's then distributed through this internet system that 100,000 people hear the conversation of what came out of your mouth. Like energy is flowing in. Energy's flowing out. and is that is that energy and that data that's being processed through your mm. body and then trans, transmitted out, emitted out? Is it being emitted out to benefit the other bodies and the, others, the other mm. actors within this overall system? Mm-hmm. Or is the energy coming in? And being used in a parasitic kind of way to benefit and to put energy back out, but really with the intention for it to come for more and more energy to come back into the body itself Mm. and to benefit that that matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it's kind of binary, right? It's kind of like... And, and, and although I I don't know if I would call it binary, but the net is binary. Yes. Right. So like I might have an intention and an action to, for the next five minutes to help somebody, but then the next four hours I go out and just like, it's totally self-serving. So if you cumulatively look at the 24 hour period, like, or the actions of all the energy flowing through me and then coming back out, a net, uh, Benefit to the other entities that I'm interacting with. Your family's the one that's consuming most of the energy you're outputting. Right? Yeah. Is it net positive or is it net consuming and parasitic? Because if it's the latter, you can try all day long to surround yourself with people that are going to tell you what you need to hear. Mm-hmm. But they're going to stop telling you what you need to hear if you're parasitic. Mm-hmm. They'll be there. In short duration, 10 minutes, one year, five years, right? Mm -hmm. Why do marriages end? Marriages end because one of the parties was parasitic and consumed the energy of the other to the Mm. point where it wasn't a mutually beneficial exchange of energy, Mm. right? And it might last 20 years, but eventually the net of that exchange between those two parties one has enough. One's done, right? Yeah, this is a great framework
0: for thinking about it. It's very uh, germane to Bitcoin. Right? We're all nodes. We're all taking in energy. We're broadcasting energy, and this energetic like absorption and broadcasting. It. I mean, this sounds very much to me like a market too. Where that's sort of what we're also doing with money. Um, yeah, which is probably you know, just it occurs to me that if we're on a hard money free market standard, it would be much more reflective of this actual reality you're saying, where you're taking an actual energy from the surrounding universe and broadcasting it to others through your intentions. Money would map very close to that in a hard money world, but you have this again, a parasite. I guess you could almost call the, the central bank an energy parasite in this way. That's distorting the whole network dynamics among all of the nodes. Yeah. Um, so it's it's as if wherever reciprocity breaks down, because right? you're, you're engaging with others in mutual exchange. It's like, you're just really trying to give and kind of operating on the premise that they're trying to give too, but not really. Like, it's not like, it's not conditional. You're not you give then i give it's like i'm just going to give and assume you're going to give as well but when other when actors act contrary to that then it just distorts the whole field of interaction yes crazy thought <laughs> <laughs> that takes okay we touched on this earlier but courage that very presupposition that I'm going to give and just have the faith that you're going to operate the same way and not take advantage of me, that takes courage, I think. And the author says this, he says, courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, one cannot practice any virtue consistently. Mm -hmm. So it's, As if courage is the base layer of this whole modus operandi of intentionality. Because
1: because if somebody doesn't have the courage to stand up and say, hey, Robert, I think you did this thing wrong. And they don't have the courage to overcome that social dynamic that we were talking about earlier of why people don't say these things. They don't take that first step to try to improve the other person or improve themselves. If that courage isn't taken, nothing's ever going to get better. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what the author is getting at with why that's so important. So
0: to live intentionally, we have to have courage. How do we cultivate courage?
1: Oh, man. I think a little bit, a little bit goes back. It's like maybe a circular, circular reference in that um, if I have a lot of respect for you, and I want what's best for you, I am willing to be courageous in order to potentially make you better at the expense of the relationship, and at my own expense of what would. Result of being courageous. Um, so, I, I think it a little bit goes back to your intentions of being a giver and being somebody who's actually trying to help help the other person at mm. your maybe your own demise and your own expense. Interesting.
0: So, back to intention. But um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah.